Sometimes there are minor understandings or minor things to learn that are fairly simple, that just by learning them, they have a disproportionate amount of impact, usually positive impact, on our songwriting. For example, something I like to talk about a lot is understanding the basics of music theory, such as understanding keys and what chords and what notes you have in each key. I think that's a super high leverage thing to understand. It takes a very small amount of time to learn, but the impact is hard to overstate. But we're not talking about music theory today, so if you're one of the people that gets worried about that, don't worry. We're not talking music theory today, but we are talking about three other simple understandings that can have a huge impact on your songs. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. Honored that you would take some time out of your day, out of your week, to talk with me about songwriting. Thank you to all of you who shoot me emails. I actually am caught up with emails again, which is great, as of at least a couple of days ago. Um, So thank you to all of you who do reach out via email. And thank you to all of you who have taken the time to write kind reviews. That stuff all really helps because when you say, hey, this guy, this... This uh, this guy's not a total idiot. This guy has helped me with some songwriting. Now that people see that, that uh, encourages them to come check us out, come join our crew, and uh, talk some songwriting along with us. So that makes a huge difference. I appreciate that. I know you don't have to take that time out of, out of your day. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out my free guide on 10 different ways to start writing a song, especially if you're new here and you just want to get started. Maybe you found this podcast or you came across this podcast when you were searching for, hey, I finally want to take the dive. I finally want to start songwriting. I know a lot of people who come to that realization, sometimes even much later in life, right? Maybe you're 50 or 60 years old and you're like, you know what? I've talked about wanting to write a book my whole life and I've talked about wanting to write some songs or a song my whole life. Screw it. I'm just going to finally do it. Uh, So if you're in that camp or if you're a more experienced songwriter, there's stuff for you in there. I talk about five ways to start a song from a lyrical standpoint, right? Starting with things like themes or lines in a lyric or a memorable quote, and then five ways to start from the more musical side of things. So whichever one you prefer, there are five ways for you. And I always say this, but hey, make sure you try both. I know lots of people who started on one side of the lyrics first versus music first debate, and then later they shift. I'm actually one of those people. I used to be lyrics first, uh, now I'm almost exclusively music first, or you know maybe I'll come up with a basic concept lyrically first, like the basic theme, and then go music, and then write the lyrics. But um, overall, I recommend you try different ones. And hey, starting your song from different standpoints is a great way to stay creatively fresh. The best way to get creatively dry is to start every song sitting in the same place, doing the same thing. Uh, for me, the temptation is to just always sit at a piano or keyboard, try to come up with a memorable piano riff to start. That's my bread and butter way of starting songs. Uh, But sometimes I just run out of creativity with that. So I have to re-pick up the guitar. I have to change the sounds that I'm using. Like I started writing a couple songs utilizing an organ sound instead because that inspired me differently. Uh, Sometimes, you know, starting with melody, maybe I'll just put a synth pad on, listen back to it and just improvise a melody with my voice. That can be a great place to start. But anyway, regardless, check out that free guide. It's a songwritertheory.com slash 
free guide. Link will be in the description as always. So let's talk about these three simple understandings that can have a huge impact on our songs. The first understanding is the understanding that melodies are everywhere. So I think it's pretty common to think, when when we think of melody, we think of vocal melody, right? And maybe we even go so far as to think about melody and think, oh, well, vocal melody is the main melody, which is true for pretty much any song that has a vocal. And then, you know, we think of other melodies as, oh, well, in the bridge, there isn't a vocal part. Instead, there is a guitar solo. And that's kind of a melody. And that's true. Those are both melodies. But we shouldn't only take our melodic thinking to our vocals or to a part that doesn't have vocals and kind of has another instrument carry a very clear main melody for that section. Instead, we should be looking for melodies everywhere in all different types of parts. So for example, our bass line, that's a melody, right? And that bass line is often happening at the same time as our vocal part. Now, that doesn't mean that every bass part is going to be a bass line or is going to be a melody, right? Lots of times the bass might just follow the chord progression, which we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But if you have a true bass line, that is its own melody. A guitar hook is, I mean, it's, it's called a hook, right? And a hook is largely just a simplified, short, melodic structure that repeats, is generally what a hook is, right? Because not every melody is a hook, but pretty much any hook is a form of melody. It's, it's kind of like a motif to a theme if you're familiar with music composition and specifically for films, right? You can, you can have, uh, like there's the force theme, which is a whole theme, but it contains the force's motif, right? Which is sort of just a small little melodic part that can be thrown into another theme or song that implies, hey, the force is involved here. There's a Star Wars reference. Getting off to a good start here with Star Wars references. But you know what I haven't referenced in a while? The Office. I got to bring that back, don't I? Um, it's because it's, it's on Peacock now and not on Netflix, so I haven't watched it in a while. Anyway, so our guitar hooks and solos are also melodies. But our piano part may have its own melody. Our chord progression, something that I feel like we completely separate from melody to, to the point that often... When we think of songs and the three parts of songs, I think it's pretty common to see it, and and fairly so, I might add, as melody plus chord progression plus lyrics, right? And that's a pretty fair way to look at a song. It may be a bit reductionist. It's certainly sort of the the copyrightable three things of the song, uh, although you can't copyright a chord progression on its own, but it paired with a melody, blah, 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 et cetera. We won't get into that because that is boring stuff that you probably don't care about. And certainly not what we're talking about today. So almost any part outside of just rhythm, if it has pitch, it can contain a form of melody. So. Let's just quickly define melody here. Melody really is basically anything that's singable. Anything that you could sing or whistle or hum, that's a melody. So this is why, you know, lots of chord progressions, you you don't hum the chord progression. You certainly don't hum the whole chord because you can't 
hum three notes at the same time or four notes at the same time or two notes at the same time, depending on how many notes are in that chord. But you might hum, you know, the bass line for a song, right? Especially a very a fa- a famous one. You know, a great example of that would be Seven Nation Army, right? <laughs> Probably most people don't know like any of the lyrics there. But if you watch any college football game, every five seconds, the whole audience decides, oh, along with the band who's going to do this song for the five trillionth time this game, we're going to do the, they usually do it with bop, bop, buzz or something like that. Um, and they do that what's essentially a bass line. Technically, it's played with a guitar with effect on it that makes it sound like a bass, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's really effectively a bass line. So that would be an example, right? It's very melodic. It's a, it's, it's a bass line played with a guitar, which is a little confusing, but that, that's a melody. It's a form of melody. In fact, it's by far the most memorable melody of the entire song, um, which, in my opinion, is a problem, but I will resist the urge to crap on Seven Nation Army for no reason because it's done nothing to me. Um, it's not bad. It's just it's just one of those things that like it drives me nuts because it's so overdone, especially if you watch any college football, which I live in Columbus, Ohio. So that means I'm legally contractually obligated to watch Ohio State games. Um, even that and my wife's a big fan. So whatever. I'm an NFL guy. Huge Broncos fan in case you're, you're new here. But anyway, hope you don't hold that against me if you're a Chiefs or Raiders fan or I guess technically a Chargers fan if they even exist. Anyway, so that's what a melody is, right? Basically anything that's singable. So if you have great melodies and hooks in different instrument parts all at once, that helps maintain interest. If there's a small break between lines of a vocal, which is pretty common, right? You sort of have a vocal sing and then there's two, three, four seconds of, of silence from the vocalist before they get to the next line. A great way to fill in that gap is having at least one instrument playing, if not explicitly a type of fill part, uh, if it's already playing a different, whether it's a counter melody or just a different melodic part, that can help keep the song interesting through that period where the vocalist has stopped singing. So I'll just give you a couple examples of maybe different ways to look at this. Uh, I'm going to just use a couple songs that uh, I'm sort of in the middle of writing. Um, I'll, I'll play the more obvious one first. So in this one, the piano part has its own melody that is totally separate from the vocal part. So the piano part just goes like this. So as you could probably hear there, there's a distinct melody that that piano part on its own has. And that's not the main melody of the song. That's not, you know, a a part that's only playing when there isn't a vocal. There's going to be a totally separate vocal melody that I can't sing along with it yet because I haven't really practiced the song because I haven't even finished writing it. It's just one of those, like, the piano part's its own melody and and technically it, it operates as sort of like a intro melody and then my vocal melody is actually kind of a counter melody because it starts happening after whatever it's a whole thing um but the main point we're trying to make here right is melodies everywhere so you just have to take my word the vocal melody is totally separate um but as you can hear right this has its own melody in this piano part even though this is 
This has chords, right? It it gives the chord progression of the song while also giving a different melody that someone can attach to. Right at that top part. That is basically the melody that was within that. Or, so so that's a fairly obvious example because that piano riff is extremely melodic to the point that if you probably heard that on its own, you would assume that either it's not playing during a vocal or that the vocal matches it. Uh, but another example would be this, which is way closer to just a regular chord progression. So basic chord progression on the on the surface. And it isn't anything complex. It's a basic C major chord. And then it is essentially a G add four chord. And then this is probably the most exotic it gets. This implies at least a A minor seventh chord with a added four to it. And then just a regular F major chord. This is in C major for what it's worth. But it is explicitly written to have a melody within it that maybe you heard, which was basically... It's a sort of tucked in there, but it's something that is very singable or hummable that, again, is totally different than what the vocal melody on top of it will be. But instead of just making a chord progression, I arranged it in in a way so that it had that melody within it. And just as an example, the last time that I played through the riff, it actually goes... That is still an F major chord, just like when we ended here. But melodically, that changed it to... Right? So now you can hear that melody instead of, which was, so that makes a difference. And that's the, the chord progression again is exactly the same, but based on the way I arranged specifically the right hand of the piano, uh, it has sort of a different melody to it. So there's, there's a, a little hook or a little melody built into what really is just a chord progression, right? I'm just playing chords, chord, chord. And then, okay, add that extra note. But for the most part, it's just, you know, you have that A minor with the added four, and then it's a seventh as well. Uh, But then I resolve it to just a regular A minor with a seventh. And then that is a basic F major chord. That's all all it is, right? Pretty straightforward chords. But we have a melody built into it that, again, is just based on the way I arranged the right hand because I wasn't just thinking of how do I write a chord progression. I was trying to think of how do I have a hook or melody within that chord progression that adds something of interest. Because if it didn't have that, that chord progression would seem more boring because really it's not, uh, the rhythm is slightly interesting maybe or at least it's catchy-ish, um, but there's there's nothing right home about in that. But the melody helps. That hook adds a little bit to keep it a little more interesting. So understanding number two, 
is that a baseline can be separate from the chords. And paying attention to inversions and, and, and separating your bass line from chords can be a great, simple way to add to your songs. Inversions might be one of the most overlooked, massive, massive and very easy um, concepts for, for songwriters to, to kind of not think about, right? Pe because lots of people think like, oh, a C major chord is a C major chord. Is it though? Like there's a C major chord that just has the root and the bass. So typical C major chord, right? doesn't really matter how we arrange it. Either way, it's has that C in the bass. Does this really sound the same as this? Certainly doesn't to my ear, right? This sounds resolved, especially in the con if we're in C major, right? Compared to this to me, and we're about to have a whole video on this, by the way, how to make one chords more interesting. Um, so be sure to check out the YouTube channel for that. Or if you're on the email list, you'll get an email so you don't have to worry about it. But this sounds totally different. And this is just changing the inversion because really changing an inversion is just having the note in the bass because an inversion is defined by whatever the lowest note is. So whether it's your bass part or the bass part of the piano part, that is what's defining the inversion. A lot of people just think of it, is it this or this or this, which is fair enough that at least on its own is determining the inversion, right? Because this is C major with C as the root, or sorry, C is the root and it has C in the quote unquote bass as the lowest note. So it's just root position C major. This has E, so it's first inversion. And then this is second inversion has G in the bass, even though it's a C major chord. So that is one way to look at it, which is true. That's the most simple way to see inversions. But in the context of a song, it's defined by whatever the lowest note is. But in this is another important point I want to get to, which is thinking about inversions not just in the, oh, it's the lowest note in a whole arrangement, right? Which is basically, I can play this, but if the bass, which is technically playing a lower note, is playing that E, well, technically it's first inversion instead of root position, even though the piano part itself is simply root position. So that's one thing to think about. You can have a different, you know, for example, in, in your piano part, you can have, quote unquote, the bass line or what your left hand is playing be different than what the bass note that the bass is playing, that can it can be totally different and can make a huge difference in sound. Um, and, and then on top of that, right, me playing, so this is technically first inversion because I'm playing an E in the bass of a C major chord. But if you just take my right hand part, I'm playing that in root position. Add this though, and technically it's first inversion. But what if I do first inversion in the right hand and first inversion overall, right? So that's different than this, right? Because now my right hand has the E in the bass and then there's E in the actual left hand bass part. 
Or that's a G major chord. <laughs> Just kidding. And then this is second inversion. So all these sound different, right? Like, yeah, it's the same exact chord, technically in the same exact inversion, but all of those sound a little bit different, which is a part of how we came to that part that I played before to show like the melody as I thought about which inversions to use where, and then sort of separated out the bass part. And then, and then wrap that all in a chord progression. So I know I'm going into a bunch of different places here, but the main idea is that both the bass line that your actual bass is playing, it is important to at least sometimes, or at least be intentional, but if you're treating it just as a supplement to the guitars, right, where it's thickening up the guitar chords. So if you're playing, you know, a C power chord, you just play C in the bass, and that basically makes it an even thicker C power chord when you layer that in with the guitar. And if you're doing that intentionally, that can be great. I do that intentionally a lot because I just really like that sound and I just love thick sounding guitars. But that should be intentional and we shouldn't think, oh, well, that's just what you do. That's what the bass is. That's a very guitarist way of looking at a bass part. This is why bassists get insulted when guitarists treat them like, well, you're just the same as us. The only difference is that you're playing one note. So it's like a simplified version. So instead of treating a bass like a guitarist where you're only playing the root note, Think about like, hey, the chord progression can be made way more interesting just by changing what note of the chord is being played in the bass. This is to say nothing about the fact that you can have a bass line that has notes being played in the bass that are technically external to the chord in general, right? So if you have a G major chord, but then you actually have a C in the bass, which a C is not in a G major chord, right? That has a very different, interesting sound compared to if you just had a normal G major chord, right? This this sounds so boring compared to that, right? That has a lot of sort of intrigue to it, like what's going on, especially if you have like... Just by keeping the bass note a C, um, creates some, some little more interesting harmonies than that chord progression other would be of... Like, oof, I just died of boredom. Um, <laughs> anyway. So, overall, the, the important understanding we're trying to get to here is separate in your mind A, different bass parts. What I mean by different bass parts is the part your actual bassist is playing, or if you're the bassist, what you're playing. But also what note is in the bass part, right? What is the lowest note being played by, say, a guitar part or by a piano part, right? This sounds so different than this. And we're really just changing the inversion. What note is being played in the bass? Technically, this is still overall a C major chord. This is a C major chord. This is a C major chord. And this is a C major chord. But they all sound significantly different. Like, specifically first inversion to me, always feels like it wants to go up to me to that four chord, which is an F major chord. This can be, a, there's going to be a video coming out specifically on this, but specifically if you're doing it with your one chord, this can be a great way to have your one chord not sound resolved or sound like a highlight so that you can utilize the harmonization of a one chord in the context of your song where you don't want to be like, hey, this is the main point. 
right? Because if you use that one chord normally, it, it is like, here's a main point. This is the beginning of the chorus or the main line of the chorus or something like that. A great way to just kind of take that air out intentionally is just change that interval. This doesn't sound like, oh, main point anymore. Right? That just doesn't sound the same as... It just sounds like more of the main point. So, learn to separate out bass lines in your head from the rest of the parts. Really, this is starting to get into deeper than just thinking in terms of chord progressions. And I've talked about and alluded to before that evolving past just thinking of things as chord progressions is very important. And really, these first two points could be summarized as, you know, think about the individual notes you are playing within that chord progression rather than just the chord progression itself, right? Because this first one, we were, we had a melody within the chord progression and that's how we got to the, or, you know, separating out the, the bass line is another form of you're going past just the chord progression and you can make it more interesting just by changing what inversion you're playing, whether that just be in the piano part or whether your bass guitar part is playing a note other than the root note of the chord. So overall, see every instrument as an opportunity to add something a little more interesting to your songs. Last thing, repetition should have purpose. We shouldn't just repeat because that's what people before us decided to do. And I say this because I think a lot of people kind of just are like, oh, well, I want to write a song. And I know that a song has a verse and a chorus, and sometimes it has a pre-chorus, and it usually has a bridge. And we don't really think about, well, first of all, who came up with that? <laughs> and, and, and second of all, why? What is, the, what is the purpose of that? Is it, do we just do it because that's what people before us did, and that's what most songs on the radio do, so we just kind of fall in line and do it? And, you know, to start, that's fine, because we have to start where we're at, right? If you're writing your first song, uh, in fact, if you're writing your first song, I encourage you to do almost everything what I would consider wrong for a seasoned songwriter to do. Like, I would never tell a seasoned songwriter, like, hey, the best way to write a song is just arbitrarily pick a chord progression. Like, that, that's one of the worst ways to, to write a song, in my opinion. Uh, but if you're a beginner, I think that's actually the best way <laughs> to start writing a song. Um, so, yes, you know, if we start at a position of, well, you know, I noticed that almost all songs go some version of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, so I'll just blindly do it. That's fine. But at some point, we have to really understand, well, well, why is it that that works? And what really is the purpose of that repetition we have of the chorus repeating? And overall, the real basic version of it is if we want to make sure someone understands something, we repeat it. Right? The more we hear something, the more we learn it. And this, this is why we did the same math concept over and over and over again, rather than just learning a concept, solving one problem that utilized that formula or whatever it was, and then calling it a day. And I'm sorry if I caused anyone trauma by bringing up math classes. <laughs> Some of you are like, I, wasn't, I haven't been in school for 30 years. You just brought me back to the worst time of my life. But hey, if math class was the worst time of your life, it's a pretty good life. So there is that. But repetition 
for anything, but specifically to songwriting, should have purpose. So if you have a chorus, what you are repeating in your chorus should have purpose and repetition. It shouldn't just be like, well, I decided this is the chorus, so I guess this lyric that's in my chorus is going to repeat. Because overall, your chorus, by nature of repeating the same lyrics, and in this case, let's just assume for now that uh, you are utilizing lyrics with this, or choruses with the same lyrics, there are certainly plenty of songs that change lyrics every chorus or, you know, maybe for the last chorus or whatever. Uh, but most of the time, it's, you know, a chorus is just the exact same copy and paste it every time. Maybe add more instruments each time or sing it slightly differently. But for the most part, they're the same. So by nature of repeating those same lyrics every time, you are highlighting what is being communicated in the chorus. That's not, you don't really have the option of like, well, it's not really a highlight. It's just being repeated. No, no, no. By nature of repeating, you are naturally highlighting it. And you need to make sure that what's being said in the course merits repeating, right? So if you think, well, the main point of the song really is kind of tucked away in the middle of the second verse, and that's really what I want people to take away from the song, like, well, they're probably not going to. The main thing they're going to take away from the song is that chorus that repeated four times. And then thinking about repetition outside of choruses, because chorus is the easy thing to pick on, but... You can leverage the concept of repetition via a refrain. Uh, again, if you pay attention to the YouTube channel, we broke down the difference between a chorus and a refrain here recently. And uh, I won't get back into that here, but you know, one example or one of the main ways we think through refrains these days is often where you, know, you might not even have a chorus, but a song like The Times They Are A-Changin'. There's no chorus, but the end of every verse ends with the same line. The times they are a-changin'. And that's A, where the title comes from, um, which makes sense because it's the main highlighted part of the song because it is repeated, right? It's just verse, 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 verse. And I think there's four verses or something, maybe five, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Nothing repeats except the times they are a changing. So naturally, it's the song title, and naturally, it's the main part that people take away from that song because that is the part that's repeated. So we can utilize that in our songs, right? If there's a main point you want to drive home, maybe at the beginning of every verse, you start with the same line, right? But then the rest of your verse is different because that's a main point that you want to make. Or maybe it's the last line of your verse in true classic re refrain fashion. Although technically for what it's worth, any repeated lyric anywhere would, would, would qualify as a refrain. So technically you could have a refrain at the beginning of every verse that technically is still a refrain. Uh, anyway, if you want more on refrains and the difference between refrains and choruses and the relationship between the two, be sure to check out that, that video that I put out there. I think probably two weeks ago or something. Maybe it was four weeks now. Time goes fast. But, uh, you know, other ways you can choose to use repetition is repeating a line over and over again within a section, right? So uh, I'll reference my favorite artist of all time, uh, Vertical Horizon. They have this song called Frost that actually has two bridges in it. And the second bridge is just a repetition of how long can we keep falling, which besides just like it makes the point of how long can we keep falling, and it really adds to the like desperate feel of that line, 
by repeating it over and over again. Repetition can really give a a desperate feel when it's uh, used in certain contexts. But also it operates as sort of the peak of really the theme of almost the entire album, really, or at least the way I hear it. I hear it as like, not only is this the peak of the song, but this is really the peak of uh, the entire album. Now, maybe I'm just biased because that's uh, probably my favorite song off that album. But, um, you know, that, that makes a point of how long can we keep falling because it's repeated. And you can't just do that with any line. It has to be a line that is worthy of that repetition. It's worthy of making that point. Uh, or another example, I have a song called uh, Whispers of Angels that in the bridge repeats, tell me how it ends. And and the lyric is, uh, you feel you're right, but you know you're not. You listen to the whispers as you as uh, as you ignore your heart scream. And that's tell me how it ends. 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 And that's really meant to encapsulate the entire theme of the song, really, which is sort of this this idea of I toy for imagery. If you're familiar with Doctor Who, when I say angels, picture like like the weeping angels, not like a, a real saintly angel with a halo or whatever. So sort of a dark angel concept. But the, but the whole idea is there are certain people in our lives that we assume that they want the best for us, right? A parent, a best friend, a sister, a brother. Um, but it may not be the case that they unselfishly want what's best for you. We would all like to believe that to be true, but it's not necessarily true. So without getting too deep into details, this, this, this song is really about three of the people that, you, that this person should be able to trust they just want what's best for her. I'm calling that into question. Do they really? You, you're trusting them, rightfully so, because you're utilizing angels to like communicate, hey, in theory, this is something trustworthy. Um, but are they really? And that's why that, that bridge highlights the tell me how it ends, because it's meant as, well, it it's works on several levels. For On the one level, I'm... I'm saying, you know, because the line right before is, well, you ignore your heart scream, tell me how it ends. So part of me is saying your heart is saying, tell me how it ends. But also I'm saying to you, tell me how it ends. Meant to be like, no, seriously, answer this question because I know you know deep down that really they don't actually want what's best for you. But I need you to say it. I need you to confront that uncomfortable truth. Right, so so that's, that's kind of, it's central to the whole song, which is why it gets repeated is this, Tell me how this is going to end. So repetition is a fantastic tool to make a point of something. And when you do repeat, you are making a point of it, whether you are doing it intentionally or not, you are. So make sure that when you repeat something, it has a purpose behind it and that you don't accidentally repeat something that maybe isn't worthy of, of repeating, right? So don't just get lazy and repeat the last line of the verse, even though the last line of the verse isn't even the main point or main part of the verse, which sort of connects to, I believe Pat Patterson is the one who came up with the idea of, of power positions. Forgive me if I'm referencing the wrong person. It might be Andrea Stolpe, but it's one of those two. 
Uh, and the idea is that there are certain positions in a song that are naturally resonate more and naturally seem to have more importance. For example, the first line of your song is usually a power position. The last line of pretty much any section, right? So the last line of a verse automatically feels like a natural highlight because it's last. Uh, you know, in the same way that like a championship game is the last game of the season. They don't then play the, you know, the the game between the third and fourth finisher after, right? Because nobody cares anymore. The champion's been settled. Sort of similar concept, right? So everything at the beginning and end is usually naturally highlighted. But beyond that, things that are in power positions, we want to make sure are worthy of power positions. But also we want to make sure that, because we make a power position anytime we repeat anything. In the sense that, again, repetition calls attention to it in the same way that if my wife comes home and I, I remind her three times about like, hey, I don't know, you have a doctor's appointment tomorrow, which she's the keeper of that stuff. So that's total fantasy. That would never happen. But um, what is that doing? Right, It's making a point. Hey, this is important. Are you remembering the doctor's appointment? This is funny because this is literally the exact opposite This would, way this would go. But anyway, all to say, three simple and understandings that we can have to have a huge impact on our songs. One, melodies are everywhere. Look for melodies in more places and explicitly write even small melodies, small hooks, melodic hooks specifically, in different instrument parts, whether that's in your bass line, whether that's in your guitar hook or your piano part, or even in you know the strings part. Instead of just having a basic string quartet, give one of the string parts a really melodic idea. So looking for melodies everywhere. And then learning to separate out bass lines from chord progressions, whether that be the actual bass line of a bass guitar or whether that be, you know, you're playing a piano part, you have your left hand and your right hand. Maybe think about that left hand piano part not just being, hey, this is the chord or this is the root note of the chord, but instead moving past that and thinking of like, okay, but how can I make this an interesting bass line or an interesting melody <laughs> instead and just in general, respecting inversions. Just if there's an exercise takeaway, take one of your songs that you think has a kind of boring pedestrian chord progression and just change the inversion uh, by changing the note that's in the bass. See if it makes it more interesting. Um, and I'm not saying for everyone, right? Maybe just pick one chord, but experiment, right? So if, if you have a one, five, six, four. Super boring, right? Just changing, say, the first chord to be first inversion. Like, already it's a little bit more interesting. Now, it's pretty hard to save that chord progression because it's the most overdone, boring one on the planet. Um, but just as an example, right? So start there and then be like, okay, well, maybe I will do third inversion for the G chord. And then third inversion, or did I say third inversion? Second inversion. <laughs> there is no third inversion. Uh, second inversion for the uh, F chord. And then, I don't know, first inversion for the A. Moral of the story, right? Just play around. I'm not saying that that was great because I'm coming up with it off the top of my head, right? It gives you a sort of descending bass line. Now that feels uneven to me because at that point... You need some usually of, hey, the bass is playing the root note of the chord to give it some stability. Uh, but anyway, play around with it. And then repetition should have purpose. 
Make sure if you're repeating something, it's intentionally, it's worthy of repetition, it's worthy of being highlighted, because by nature of being repeated, it is getting highlighted whether you like it or not. Thank you for listening. Again, if you haven't already, be sure to pick up my free guide on five, I'm sorry, ten different ways to start writing a song, five from a lyrical standpoint, five from a musical standpoint. It's at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Great way if you're getting stuck or starting to feel like all your songs sound the same great way to get out of that rut. Also, if you're a beginner, obviously it's a great way for you too, because it gives you 10 different ways to start a song instead of just one or zero. If you have zero right now, and this is maybe the first thing you've ever listened to about songwriting. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all of you again, who have left kind reviews helps me out a lot. I appreciate that. I appreciate you for listening, for spending time with me whenever you are listening to this and I will talk to you in the next one.